Thank you and a very pleasant good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I am Gary Colley, evangelist of the Get Well Church of Christ here in Memphis, Tennessee. And it's always a pleasure and an honor to be with you by means of this radio broadcast. We're always delighted to hear of those who are listening to the program. And we believe the Truth and Love broadcast has done a lot of good through the years in keeping us strong and in helping us to know the right way of the Lord. So we're happy that you're listening and we're hopeful that you will encourage a friend to listen with you to these broadcasts. We certainly hope and pray that the only thing we shall ever teach shall be in harmony with the Word of God. The psalmist said, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my pathway. Psalms 119 verse 105. And then he said in Psalms 119 verse 130, The opening of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. How different our world would be if they would simply study the Bible if they would turn back to those principles of truth that the Lord has given us through His revelation. It is a wonderful pleasure to have the Bible in our hands. But if it's not studied and it's not read, it will be of no benefit whatsoever to us. But we do learn Paul's writing to Timothy saying, All Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete thoroughly furnished unto every good work, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. We, of course, are delighted that we have the Word of God in our midst, and it is that which is all authoritative to the Christian. He lives by it, he walks in it, he is strengthened in it, and, of course, he looks forward to the promises that are given in it. 1 John 2, 25 says, This is the promise which he made to us, that we may have eternal life, and that, of course, is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus did warn us, though, in Matthew 7, 15, in the Sermon on the Mount, Beware of false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravening wolves. And what he is talking about there is men who teach in a religious way those things which are not taught in his word. And, of course, they are appearing to be what they ought to be, but they're not what they ought to be. You know, a wolf, if he has a sheep's clothing on, you're hard, it's hard to distinguish him, isn't it? But if we will study the Bible, we can know the difference between those that are false prophets and those that are true prophets, are true teachers. In 1 John 4, 1, John warned, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but prove the spirits, whether they be of God, for many false prophets are gone out into the world. So, since there are many, we need to be on guard, don't we? Paul wrote in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that calls you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert, change, twist the gospel of Christ. So, though we, he said, are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that which we, the apostles, have preached to you, let him be accursed. And as I said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Do I now persuade men or God? For if I yet persuaded men, I should not be the servant of Jesus Christ. Well, we learn then from these verses that we need to be very cautious and careful about what we take into our thinking. In Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19, there the writer said, I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the tree of life and out of the holy city which are written in this book. 
very dangerous, my friends, to teach something different from what the Bible teaches. And yet there are many people who seem to think they can make their own churches, make their own plan of salvation, do everything in their own way, and ignore the things which God has taught us in order that we may know what is right and good. Have you ever heard anybody say, Are you, were you saved at an old-fashioned altar? Or have you heard people say, give me that old-time religion. That's good enough for me. But the old-time religion is not good enough for us because the Lord has brought a new covenant. In Matthew 26, 28, he said, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So when we think about this, how sad it is to hear people say, I want to be saved by an old-time religion or in an old-fashioned altar. Quite frequently you hear this. A denominational preacher might say, I was saved at an old-fashioned altar so many years ago. Or he may ask, were you saved at an old-fashioned altar? Or he may say, if you want to be saved, you need to find an old-fashioned altar somewhere and get down on your knees and pray through to salvation. But you know what, my friends? He never gives one verse of Scripture that teaches that the sinner is to pray through. He never finds one passage of Scripture that says, yes, pray the little sinner's prayer. And yet so many, even Billy Graham and some who are widely known, teach that very doctrine. Well, let us examine, try, and test, and prove those statements in the light of the New Testament and see what it teaches relative to the things that are mentioned in this one who says, were you saved in an old-fashioned altar? And, of course, that being taught by many. We've noticed in Matthew 7, 15 that he said, Beware of false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravening wolves. And then he followed that by saying, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Fruit, but he, the corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now, isn't that a simple thought upon our Lord's part? He says if they don't teach right, the result is going to be wrong, and you can tell it by the evil of their fruits and the way they live. And he also says, they shall be cut down and cast into the fire. Now that's eternal punishment. And anybody who teaches something opposite from the Word of God needs to beware lest they fall into the condemnation of the Lord. In Ephesians 5, 6, he said, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. In Colossians 2, 8, he warns the Colossian brethren, Beware lest any man spoil you or rob you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. In other words, they don't follow the teaching of Christ. They have their own churches. They have their own teaching. They have their own plan of worship, their own plan of salvation. Uh, my friends, let me ask you something. Is the religious organization of which you remember found mentioned in the Bible? If it's not, how could you possibly be a member of such an institution? In Revelation 2, 1 and 2, there he said unto the angel of the church at Ephesus, write, 
These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou, can, thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. Now, my friends, that's too clear to miss. When we try a prophet who does not teach what the Bible teaches, he is a false prophet. He is a liar. And so because of that, those who follow him cannot possibly be saved. You know, there's not one verse in the New Testament that even mentions an old-fashioned altar or even pray the little sinner's prayer. There's not one verse that teaches that we should find an old-fashioned altar somewhere because they're not to be found unless they're made by man and not by God. And there's not one verse that teaches that we should pray at an old-fashioned altar somewhere. There's not one passage that teaches that an alien sinner can be saved by praying through. Not one, my friends. If you know of one, please let me know. But if you don't know of one and you can't find it in the Bible, then please do not be fooled by these who are false prophets or false teachers. Preachers who preach praying through at an old-fashioned altar are false teachers. That's the only conclusion you can come to when you do not find any of their teaching in the Word of God. They should be so ashamed of themselves that they would quit preaching such false doctrine. And yet, there are those who continue on a weekly, daily basis to preach the same old, ragged, false doctrines that they've always taught. But let us go to the New Testament, and let's see what it teaches alien sinners to do in order to be saved from past sins. Ask yourself the question, is there any place in the Scriptures that teaches a man should pray for his sins to be forgiven before he obeys the gospel? Well, Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I command you? You know, sinners are taught that in order, in order for them to, be, to come unto God, they must first of all believe that He is, that is Christ is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek after Him. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Read it for yourselves. Jesus said, It is written in the prophets, They shall all be taught of God. Everyone that hath heard and learned cometh unto me. That's John 6, verse 44, 45. Now, in order for a sinner to have saving faith, he has to hear the Word of God, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So until a man is willing to study the Bible, listen to it, and obey it, he cannot possibly have the blessings of forgiveness. Faith or belief, either one is an interchangeable term. Faith or belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God is absolutely essential to salvation from past sins as well as necessary to life eternal. So, my friends, when you think about this, it is certainly important for us to study, isn't it? It's not an old-fashioned altar. It's not praying through. It's not praying the little sinner's prayer, but it is reading the Bible, understanding what we must do, seeing what those in the New Testament did in order to be saved, and do those things which are commanded. In John 20, verse 30 and 31, it is said, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the sight of His disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that ye may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that believing 
ye may have life through his name. Well, John 3.16, you know, says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Belief is necessary, is it not, in the Christ, in order for us to have the hope of salvation? Now, in John 3.36, he said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Watch it now, friends. But he that obeyeth not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth on him. What's your conclusion here when you read these two verses? John 3.16, John 3.36. Well, it is that belief includes all the acts of obedience. In other words, if we won't do what the Lord teaches us to do, then we don't have any hope, do we? We don't have forgiveness of our sins. We do not enter into the Lord's church, or we can enter into man's organizations by faith only. But we can't enter the Lord's church by that. Isn't it sad that so many people have been duped into believing that they can simply have a mental assent to something about the Lord and be saved by it? You know, 1 John 4, 9 says, This is, or this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because God, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In Acts 16, verse 30, 31, we find there the jailer being taught, and he wanted to know what he must do in order to be saved. He said in verse 30, 31, as he brought them out of the prison, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Well, belief is important, isn't it? If without belief, you can't possibly do what the Lord wants you to do. But some people don't want to go further on those verses. They say, Just stop right there. Because faith only is taught here. Doesn't he tell the jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved? Yes. But then again, verse 32 through 34 says, And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. Now, why did they speak to him the word of the Lord? Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And without faith it's impossible to please him. So they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. Now this was not babies, because these people understood the truth, and they heard exactly what was given to them by this teacher of truth. And they he took them the same hour of the night, verse 33 says, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he in all of his straightway. Now, he had inflicted these stripes, now he's going to wash them in repentance. He washed their stripes, and he was baptized, he and all of his, straightway. And when he had brought them into the house, and you see, those things were done outside the house when he was baptized, but he brought them into the house, set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. And, of course, that's important for us to see. What does it say here? It says that he, he brought meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. Well, I thought you said that he obeyed the gospel. He did. Was he baptized? Yes, he was baptized. And what is it said that he did? He rejoiced believing in God. You see, believing in God includes hearing the gospel. It includes repentance. Repentance is a condition, you know, of alien sinners. He has to meet this in order to have his sins forgiven. Why do you say that? Well, because Luke 13, 3 and 5 says that. 
Jesus said, I tell you, nay or no, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Do you want to perish? Then if you do, just simply refuse to repent of your sins. This is one of the most difficult parts that any man has to meet. Repentance demands a change of mind towards sin. It is, it is preceded by godly sorrow. It is that which is a reformation of man's life and, of course, a change of his will that turns him into a reformation of his life. So Jesus said, I tell you, no, but accept. That is, if and only if you repent, you will be saved and not perish. But in Acts 2.38, Peter told sinners also, repent for the remission of sins. Did he not? Absolutely. Actually, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ or by his authority for the remission of sins. That is, in order to have the remission of sins. Now, in Acts 3.19, the second sermon, by the same preacher preaching on the same subject, Peter said, repent, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that there may come seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. All right, we have to repent of our sins. That's a condition for alien sinners. And also, we have to repent upon our belief, do we not? But that's not all. Confession of faith in Christ as the Lord, as being the Son of God, is a condition of salvation. You know, silent faith, that which is not confessed, will not save us. No, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, Because if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Every person who wants to be saved then, that comes because of his belief in Christ, and is willing to repent of his sins, and he's willing to confess his faith in the Lord, that one has met the condition of salvation to this point. In Acts 8, verse 37, it tells us that the eunuch saw water, and he had been taught by Philip, and he said, Now, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? In other words, what stands in my way of becoming a Christian? Here's one thing. Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They stopped the chariot. Why? Because a man has faith. He has repented of his sins. He is willing to confess his faith in Christ. And so they stopped in order to baptize him. Now in 1 John 4.15, you remember that John wrote, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. The Gnostics didn't believe in Jesus Christ. The Gnostics tried to turn people away from their faith. But for a man to be saved, he had to make the good confession, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You remember that Peter made that confession in Matthew 16, just before Jesus said, Upon this rock I'll build my church, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. All right, here's a man who wants to be saved. He wants the hope of eternal life. He must first have faith. Then, of course, he must repent, turn from his sins, begin to walk in the right way of the Lord. But he also must confess his faith 
in Jesus Christ, but you know he's not in the Lord yet. Just as a person who falls in love, he loves a young lady, and he tries to convince her that he is upright and what he ought to be. And finally, she begins to have faith in him. Then where she has not thought about being his wife, she repents. She changes her mind because of his life, because of his actions. She said, yes, I will think about becoming your wife. But she's not in Christ or she's not in that marriage yet, is she? No, she confesses to him that she loves him and that she wants to be a part of his family and life. And so there's the confession. But then she has to have the marriage ceremony. Now, if she dies on the way to the place where she's to be married, she will not receive a wife's reward. Why? Because she's not gone through the marriage ceremony yet. So she's not recognized until she does something else. And that is acknowledge her faith in him and acknowledge that she wants to be his wife in the marriage ceremony. Well, likewise in Christianity, when a person wants to be saved, they have to have faith in Christ, and then they have to repent of their sins, and then they have to make the good confession that they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But then they must be baptized in water. That's essential to salvation. No, I didn't make that up, my friends. Just read your Bible. Mark 16, 15, and 16, Jesus said after his death, burial, and resurrection, now go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, we find that conjunction here and showing that two parts are necessary for salvation. That is, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So if they will not believe, they can't be saved. And of course, they will not be baptized. So he said, he that believeth not, he shall be damned. We're right, my friends, it must be, mustn't it? And the same is taught in Acts 2.38, where Peter said on the day of Pentecost, to those who had been murderers of the Lord, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, is baptism essential to salvation? Many people say it's not. They say, no, baptism's not essential. You don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. You can be saved without baptism as well as with baptism. Well, the Lord didn't say that. Are you going to follow man or follow the Lord? In Galatians 3, 26, 27 and verses following, he said we're all made the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He said there's neither Jew nor Greek bond or free, male or female, but we're all one man in Christ, that is, insofar as salvation is concerned. And if we be Christ, if we belong to Him, if we have come into Him through our obedience to the gospel, if we belong to Christ, then are we Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What promise? The promise made to Abraham centuries before when he was told unto him, In thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham. And so, my friends, baptism allows us to put on Christ, put away the world, and be what we ought to be. Well, somebody said, if I could just read a verse that said baptism saves, I would want to be baptized. Well, my friend, 
don't walk, you run and get your Bible. And turn to 1 Peter 3.21, where Peter says, The like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ was resurrected from the dead, when we're buried in the waters of baptism in the likeness of His burial, we're also raised with Him to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 3, and 4. And this is where we're saved. No, He didn't say we're saved at the point of faith. No, He didn't say whether we're saved at the point of repentance or the point of confession. But He did say baptism puts us into Christ. It is that final act that saves us from our sins. You know, no one has ever been saved by going to an old-fashioned altar. No one has ever been saved by praying through, as these people say. Then why would they say it? Well, because they're false prophets. A sinner must believe and obey God in order to be saved. There's just no other way to learn the truth and to walk in it except in harmony with that which we have noticed. So, my friends, what will you do with these truths? Will you hear it? Will you obey it? Will you live in harmony with His will? Certainly we're hopeful that you will. It would be our desire that everyone in the sound of our voice would become simple New Testament Christians. You know, Saul was told after he had persecuted the church, had been a blasphemer, he was told in Acts twenty-two sixteen, Why do you tarry? Why do you wait? Why do you put it off? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, he didn't say go down to an old-fashioned altar. He didn't say just pray through. No, no. He said, Arise, Paul, get up and be baptized for the remission of your sins, just as is taught by the Apostle Peter, by the Apostle of all of these who have come into the world in order to be as the servants of God. So, as Paul said, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. And as I said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. So, my friends, it's very simple, isn't it? And yet, it is so very, very important. We must hear and do what the Lord teaches us to do. We cannot possibly do anything else and expect to be saved. No, going before an old-fashioned altar won't do it. Give me that old-time religion. No. That won't do it if you're talking about the religion of the old law because, you see, Christ has nailed it to the cross. Colossians 2.14 says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and He took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Jesus said, I didn't come. I didn't come to destroy that law, but I came to fulfill it. And therefore, He didn't come to perpetuate it, but He came to fulfill it and take it away. And He did, through His death upon the cross of Calvary. Now we have that new law in Christ by which we can be saved. My friends, it's so good that you've listened this morning, and certainly I'm hopeful that you will act not on my thoughts, but on what the Bible teaches. It is so important for you to hear and render your obedience to the gospel even unto baptism. We would love to have you come and visit with us at the Getwell Church of Christ today. We're at 1511 Getwell Road, here in Memphis, just off of Interstate 240. So we would love to have you come. Our Bible study begins at 9.30. Our worship services begin at 10.20 this morning. And then again this afternoon at 4.30 we have singing. 
and at 5 we have our regular worship service. Each Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. we meet together to worship God. Come and be with us, but until we meet you then, we must now bid you a very pleasant good Lord's Day.